0: again everyone. It's a pleasure to have you join me today on the Full Circle Podcast. I'm your host Gilliam McMichael and through the conversations I have with my guests you'll be guided on a journey home, back to your true self. With the first series of the podcast focused on the theme of trust I was interested in speaking with someone who has navigated life without a strong sense of trust. Now, many of you listening may have had your trust broken by a partner or experienced betrayal from a friend at some stage of your life. But what happens when you're betrayed by your parents or guardian as a child? This is the journey I want to dive into today and understand what impact this lack of trust can have and how healing can begin. I'm honoured to be joined by Kayla Meredith, a young woman whose traumatic childhood has resulted in anxiety and depression as an adult. From a young age, Kayla was mistreated by her parents and sadly experienced heartbreaking sexual abuse from a close family member from the time she was a child until she was in her 20s. Her father was an alcoholic and her mother was a trauma survivor, which left Kayla feeling scared, alone, unvalued and unable to trust. Moving into adulthood, Kayla formed a new relationship with trust. Trust in herself, trust in her romantic relationships and trust in her friendships. Welcoming trust into her life started her healing journey. Today, Kayla is the founder of the Move to Heal Project, a company that supports mental health through education movement and connection. Kayla Bravely shares her story of overcoming the unthinkable and turning her darkest moments into a passion for advocacy and strength. Please note this episode includes conversations about physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Welcome to the full circle, finding your way home. Our theme for today is being raised without trust in your parents. And my lovely guest today is Kayla Meredith. She's the founder of Move to Heal Project and she lives in Ontario, Canada. So, welcome, Kayla. It's lovely to talk to you today. How are you feeling about our conversation?
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I'm really looking forward to connecting more on this.
0: Brilliant. So I know that you quite openly share your story on social media forums and you've described yourself as a trauma survivor, in fact, a complex trauma survivor. And with our topic today of being raised without trust in your parents, I wondered, would you be able to share a little bit more about What happened to you regarding trust or lack of trust in your parents as as a youngster growing up?
1: I was born into an environment that was quite unstable. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom was just dealing with her own mental health issues. My mom is also a trauma survivor. And as a kid, I just remember feeling unsafe all the time. I was afraid all the time. My earliest memories include fear and when it came to my parents, who I want to emphasize, I love my parents both so much. Um, but there was a lot of inconsistencies with how we were raised. And for me, with my experience, in- inconsistency did not or does not breed trust. And so, just to speak a little bit more to that, my dad was never around, he was an alcoholic, he did not live with us. And when we were, you know, when we were with him, our experience basically was um, he was either drinking, he either smelled like beer, or he was on his way to pick up beer from the beer store. You know, there like wasn't really a relationship there. And the inconsistencies kind of arose with, we were always walking into situations with him where we were never really knowing what to expect. It was, is he going to be sober today? You know, is he going to be sad or weepy. Like sometimes he would be drinking and, um, start apologizing for not being a a good dad. And then sometimes he would be quote unquote fine or presenting as fine. And then the same thing would happen with my mom. So in just speaking to inconsistency, my mom was really good on some days and then other days she would be terrifying. And there was so much fear in the house. Like when my mom was having really bad days that I can see now were personal for her, but still as a kid, you can't make, you don't have that discernment. So my mom just flipped back and forth between presenting as fine and okay. And then also there were these moments that just felt so incredibly terrifying. And to me, that's what ties back to my lack of being able to trust anyone, let alone my parents is because There was just no safe base anywhere, and there was no consistency to reinforce that safety.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That sounds like that was quite traumatic, as you described, and that sense of terror growing up. And that's quite a strong word, isn't it? Terror. Mm -hmm. But I know the emotional abuse went on for most of your childhood, but I know you were also had some physical abuse, and then when he was about six years old, it moved into sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. How did that continue for you in terms of the impact that had on you over those years?
1: Yeah, so the sexual abuse was uh, spanned across 20 years, and that was happening. I was sexually abused by my uncle, and then there was emotional abuse happening in the home. And I think before, I speak about the effects of abuse. It's really important for me to say my story is filled with a lot of trauma and sadness, but I do think that I represent a majority of of people. You know, abuse is so common. And I just want to speak to how conflicting it can be as an adult navigating through healing when if someone has, has experienced abuse at the hands of a parent, but that parent is still in their lives, how difficult and challenging it can be. And... Just acting as a representative for that person, you know, I want to be clear always when speaking about, especially my mom, like I love my mom so much, but my feelings are still important. And the way that I was treated was not okay. And I think for anyone that's listening that might be in the same boat or have had that, that same, they're feeling conflicting emotions. Like you can hold both of those emotions in your body where you love someone and then feel as though you have anger or rage towards them as a result of the way that they treated you.
0: It's interesting that you just shared there around that, those conflicting emotions. And I think it is important to say that you can have both of those sides of love, but also hurt and disappointment and everything else that I would imagine that goes with those conflicting emotions. But it is important to to know that those can reside within your body at any one time. I'm kind of wondering, obviously you went through an awful lot, and I want to say thank you for that because it, it, it is traumatic, as you've shared. And how did you cope with those different levels of abuse and the impact of, obviously, like you said just a moment ago, is that you said that, that it's really difficult for you to trust anybody.
1: Usually, like everyone has a different way of coping that is they're not consciously deciding. But when I was younger, it's not like I woke up every day realizing that I was, there was abuse all around me. I was just thinking that that was normal. And from what I've learned about abuse or trauma, like in the moment, you're developing a coping mechanism basically to survive. So some people might dissociate, some people might develop an alter personality, you know, it can vary person to person. So for me, my coping mechanism was numbing. It's a subconscious reflex. So I remember like feeling emotions as a kid, but not feeling depth of emotion, if that makes sense. Like I would definitely cry, but everything felt really detached. And that carried all the way up until, I mean, I went to trauma therapy. I don't know if you've seen the show Dexter. Um, yes. <laughs> but was like a close friend of mine passed when we were 19. And I went to her funeral and I didn't cry. I like knew that I should be crying because everyone else was crying. But I didn't feel like I could make that happen. And that was the first time where I just kind of noticed maybe there's something going on here. Everything becomes about survival. So for me, it was numbing that happened for a really long time. And Uh, In my experience with my story, uh, sometimes this can happen with complex trauma where an event happens and you don't overtly react, you numb. Another event happens, you don't react, you numb, and so on and so forth until something can happen called a last straw trauma where... The event or situation happens, and then it kind of is the straw that breaks the camel's back, uh, you know, to use the phrase. And then you don't just feel the effects from that one incident. You feel the effects from all the incidents that haven't been processed before. That last straw trauma, for me, uh, drove me into therapy, and then that's where I began to unravel and sort through What had happened in my upbringing, and I feel like that last straw trauma led me to a place in therapy where it finally felt safe to begin to process things.
0: I think that kind of last straw trauma, as you just described there, obviously was one of those profound moments that, just like you said, it then sent you looking for some support can help you. So can you share with us a little bit more around that journey then to recovery? And obviously, like you said, you started there with the therapy and you eventually felt safe.
1: The first stages of my healing required me to learn what safety was and like trust stems from safety. (laughs) And I would say the first place that I, my, I mean, healing took place w- was with my trauma therapist. She was the first person for me that modeled what safety was. And like, I could get, I'm getting emotional just thinking about my therapist because she truly changed my life. I worked with her for five years, but I had never been exposed to kind language before. And I say that, I mean, like, yes, of course, like with my parents, there was kindness happening, but because there was the manipulative side of it, I never felt like I could trust the kind language. This is like a small, like, very small example, but if someone's saying to you, here, take this chocolate. I love you so much, take this chocolate bar. You're like, okay, I'll take the chocolate bar. And then as like five minutes later, they're like, what are you doing? I never said you could have that. Give it back to me, that's not yours. So that was my experience with the, with like kindness was always like that underbelly
0: of it. That must be quite confusing, though, because you know, being given one thing and then being told don't eat that chocolate bar, that whole sense of inconsistency, which you mentioned at the very beginning, I suppose that pulls through. So when you go into an environment, then that is different. That feels safe. Are you looking then for that consistency? Are you needing that consistency?
1: Well, I think with growing up with that template. I mean, the challenging thing, this is so hard to speak to, but I guess before my trauma therapist, the, the first, first safe person I met was my ex, was my ex-partner. He was like the most loving, kind, like gentle human. And he was offering me this kindness and love, like free of manipulation, just genuinely being like, I'm here and I want to love you. And of course, then I'm thinking that something's up because my experience has been those two sides. So then as a result, I'm sabotaging because I'm looking for something that feels familiar and kindness and love did not feel familiar to me, like in its most pure form. So I'm starting fights. I'm Getting drunk. I'm s- screaming at him for no reason to create that chaos because that's what felt familiar for me and so intricate. And I, you know, as I'm doing it, I'm, I'm feeling like I shouldn't be, but I can't, it's almost like I can't help it. And so to, I guess to answer your question, any new situation that I'm entering into, like in my twenties, that doesn't reflect the chaos that I grew up in, I'm, I'm like creating chaos myself, just for some sort of baseline to like feel or look for that familiarity.
0: I can hear that. That's quite challenging, isn't it, from how you're sharing it. And thank you for that. And I suppose, you know, you talked about when you met, you went for your therapy and trauma therapist. And that was sounds like that was a very important, significant relationship for you as you moved on to take your journey to eventually healing. And I'm not quite sure whether healing ever fully gets healed, but I know that that's a journey in itself. But I know you had other things around you and you started to focus on your community trust because I know that you was into yoga and are still doing yoga now and you have your friendships and and also relationship that you talked about so I wondered could you talk a little bit more about those things in terms of how those other environments have helped you and people have helped you mm-hmm. in your journey to healing and, and recovery
1: just to speak to yeah the what the healing journey might look like You know, I'm definitely farther along now than I was eight years ago, that's for sure. And I um, my trauma therapist said to me several weeks ago, you know, when you go to therapy, it's not about eliminating. You can't eliminate what's happened to you. Um, You can't eliminate like the after effects of it, but you can work to manage them. And how I look at it is I just have as I move along in my life now, I just add more tools to my toolbox. So if I am feeling activated or triggered or not really, not really sure of what to do, um, I can reach for those tools. But in order to develop those tools, (laughs) I mean, I had to start somewhere because you know, in my early 20s, I really didn't, I didn't trust anyone. And um, Judith Herman, she's the famous psychiatrist, she says, we, we heal relationally. So a huge component for me in my, in my healing journey, yes, was in community. So in reflecting back on the safest moments of my life, I went to, I went to Bible camp when I was young every summer and all the way up. I, I ended up counseling at that camp. And because it was a summer where I was away from my family, it felt so safe to me. And well, it was uh, an evangelical Bible camp, <laughs> um, I was in the presence of very loving individuals. And I could, you know, play and feel free and like form these really meaningful relationships. I still am friends with those, a lot of those people to this day. And so I guess, I I mean, I referenced camp a lot because it, it saved me in a lot of ways that I did have a safe space every June where I could interact with loving, kind people. But then it's almost like I couldn't even sit in it because I knew that it would end. So after, after camp and, again, into my 20s, during these moments of reflection, where I I kind of felt like I needed to get help, but wasn't sure how I actually signed up for a yoga training in Montreal, came into the yoga training off of a summer long bender, basically, like lots of drinking and drugs, and just kind of went into this training, like hoping to get some semblance of my life together. And again, it was that community aspect, you know, at camp, I was there with maybe 50 people for the month of June. And then in this yoga training, I was there with 50 people from all over Canada in this like intimate setting that was away from my house. So that was a huge, huge um, in my healing because again, I'm forming these relationships that are safe. And as as well, it it was important for self-healing too because for the first time in my life, I realized that on my yoga mat, I could move my body the way that I wanted to. Those realizations wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have that safe community around me. Like for me to be able to say, I can move my body here how I want to because my friend Lauren is next to me or because my new friend Leslie is on my other side, you know? So community was yeah. so huge.
0: Do you know, I just love that statement, which is I can move my body the way that I want to. It sounds very empowering when you say that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the reason why I, I later on in life decided to start the Move to Heal project. Because for me, you know, moving my body the way that I wanted to was an, an act of empowerment because my choice in regards to my body had been taken away by my perpetrator, when I was younger, like when you're a kid, you're so helpless, you feel so helpless, you can't do anything. And so, I mean, still to this day, I, I think about that every day, like, how do I want to move? My body
0: today. We're just talking about the Heal to Move project that you set up. And I know that you're changing some of the concepts of that just at the moment, kind of in further development, it's evolving by the sounds of things. But you mentioned that you believe that your purpose is to help others find healing in the wake of trauma. And it feels that sense of empowerment and helping others empower themselves. I'm just really curious around how did that purpose manifest for you as you've progressed Mm -hmm. through your healing journey?
1: That's such a good question. And I think, you know, as I began to engage further in the like yoga community and uh, eventually then went through this last straw trauma that pushed me into trauma therapy. Um, and then after trauma therapy, I joined a run club and then I eventually started working for an, um, an indoor spin community and, or an indoor spin studio. And I guess that purpose manifested for me when I began via therapy to reflect back on my life and what really buoyed me like during, during my worst times. And I just remember sitting in my doctor's office, I was so, so depressed. And she had me filling out surveys every week, um, to rate basically how I was feeling. And I just circled zero. Like, do you find joy? Zero. Like, uh, do you enjoy small things? I can't remember what the survey said, but I just remember every week I'd go in and be like, this is dumb. I'm circling zeros because I didn't know what made me feel joyful or what joy was or anything. And I, I had a moment after that that those surveys where I, I looked back at my life and realized that the moments where I did feel truly happy were moments where I was surrounded by people and or moments where I was free to move my body in the way that I wanted to, whether that be via spinning, run club, yoga. And I guess, yeah, from that, I just thought, you know what, I I feel like I fell through the cracks of the medical system, which is a whole other podcast, you know, and I was pushed to um, several wait lists where I was really in dire need of help and begging my doctor, like, I need to go to rehab, you know, and she was just saying, you're not, you're not bad enough. And I, one morning, I woke up and just thought, like, I don't know what to do while I'm waiting, like I'm so tired of being sad. And so drawing on the knowledge that I had, I just started moving my body every morning. So I do, I think it was like a five to 10 minute yoga sequence. And I always knew, like I was, I I was having difficulties with feelings at that time. But I always knew that I felt better, or like felt different. I guess is maybe a better way of putting it, and so I just made this commitment to try and move every day while I was waiting for further treatment, and um, that's really where I mean a lot of healing happened there. So I think just from my own life experience, that's how the purpose manifested for me was that experimentation with choice via movement. To say, you know, maybe this is something I can share with other survivors, especially survivors of sexual abuse, where it's, you know, when someone's abused, their choice is always being taken away from them. And for me, I just, I thought, what a simple message uh, for people that might need it, you know, like the concept of you can, you can wake up and move in a way that you want to, um, today.
0: It's something that I suppose we can take for granted that opportunity to be able to move our bodies whenever we want but as you've said it's not necessarily always the case when you've experienced that kind of level of trauma and abuse and I think this sense of empowering people and I don't know about you I mean I do a lot of exercise too and I can't compare obviously my experiences to yours but I know for example that when I do exercise and when I do move my body I feel so much more stronger and I I wonder from a psychological perspective do you feel the same or have felt the same?
1: You hit on a really good point. I feel like you're in my head this morning. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually just interviewed on my own podcast a a paraplegic, and it got me thinking about the concept of Move to Heal and um, how some people aren't able to move their bodies fully on a day-to-day basis. And I think just speaking to the rework of Move to Heal, it's important for me as well to emphasize that Move to Heal, I think, yeah, it can be moving the body, but it it can also be um, shifting narratives in the mind as well. I think, yeah, it's important to look at that, like the CBT aspect of that as well.
0: I do a lot of meditation and mindfulness and that sense of connection between the mind and the body. They're so intrinsically linked that actually the physical movement can bring strength and potentially resilience and a whole range of different things but actually the importance of what that has then on your emotional and mental well-being is huge and it sounds from the fact that you're using movement and the move to heal project is an opportunity for for those that come your way that you can support them and as you have done yourself supported yourself to a path of healing and Throughout of all this, you know, we started talking about trust, didn't we, around not having trust within your parents. But from what you've been sharing, it feels that you have really learned to trust yourself now as you've progressed. And I wondered, what have been the key lessons that you've learned so far Mm -hmm. about yourself and really paying attention to trusting yourself?
1: Yeah, self-trust is huge. And I think... So many people that, I mean, I can speak for myself, but I would imagine that other trauma survivors feel this as well, this like lack of self-trust, especially when there's so much manipulation or like emotional abuse happening as pulling from the chocolate bar example, you know, someone snatching that chocolate bar back saying, I never said you could have this. Then you start, you you start to think, oh my God, like, am I making this up? Like, what is real? <laughs> And when it comes to strength, like weight training, strength is a product of trust. And I mean, to pull fitness into this for a brief moment, not to say that I'm good all the time with <laughs> With strength training, because uh, movement in and of itself can be can feel activating or triggering, like I've been dissociated from my body for so long, all of a sudden, now I'm running, I'm starting to notice that I have like muscles in my back, or like my back is hurting, like coming back into the body and recognizing that is can be frightening, because I learned how to survive by not noticing so now all of a sudden, sudden, you know, fitness kind of demands that you notice in a, in, to a certain extent. And so self-trust for me was a very long journey. And I think it's not something that happened overnight. It's something that just took a lot of time. And I mean, there's so many different aspects that helped me develop self-trust. But I would say having friends... And, of course, the therapist uh, that modeled safety and kindness and non-judgment was very key. I mean, bless my friends, but to have a community that I could reach out to or friends that I can reach out to and say, I'm, I don't know about this. I really am not sure. Like, can you weigh in? And to have them say, like, we, I got you. You know, I affirm your thoughts, or I affirm that, or I'm here alongside you, and like not discrediting you. Or if there is a disagreement there, they're saying, you know what, um, this is what I think, but do you want to talk about it? You know, it's just like having that. I guess sounding board for me was really helped me build my self trust muscle. And I think the second the second aspect, of course, is yoga, uh, running. Um, outside of the body dissociation or body dissociated dissociation was a part of it for me, but just saying like, if I try to run a hundred meters, like I'm going to try it and see what happens. Okay. I can do it. Okay. What happens when I run 200 meters? Okay. I can do that. That's another way that I built trust was experimentation through movement. And I, in finishing, I think it's important for me to say, it's the choice around movement for me that is key. It's not like, I mean, again, which could be another podcast altogether, but like, I by no means am I being like, yeah, go to a group fitness class and see what happens because that can be super <laughs> could triggering. Be, yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's the choice that movement can present where I'm saying I could experiment with this sprint if I want to, but I also might not want to today, you know? Sure.
0: And what I was also hearing as she was talking there was the word kindness. And it sounds that level of experimentation, which is, is also to be kind to yourself. So try it and, you know, it might not work, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And the whole thing of being non-judgmental, I know those were around your friendships as well, but, but you also may be including that, from what I'm hearing around your fitness and that sense of choice of how you do move your body. Thank you so much for sharing that. Some really good insights there. Just wondering, because we all have our off days, don't we? And we all have mm-hmm. our wobbles. And I, I wonder, do you ever have a motto or a phrase or an affirmation that you you say to yourself these days when maybe you're just feeling a bit flat or maybe just feeling, oh, this is, feels like hard work today? Is there anything that you go to that you helps self-motivate you?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many, I feel like I have a a large toolbox to reach into now when I I do have those days. And you know what, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that we do all have those days. And I I think sometimes the way, quote unquote, healing is marketed or portrayed on social media is that there's this end line that you cross, and then everything is cool. (laughs) And it just is not like that. You know, people, like everyone has wounds and everyone is hurting from something. And as a result, like this is why I'm so passionate about speaking to what's behind that, because we're we're all human. So the first thing I would say when when the wobbling does happen is not judging myself for the wobbling. It, it's literally just noticing it and saying, OK, I'm 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 feeling a little wobbly today how might I, how might I nurture myself today? How might I lean into a little bit more self-care today? Do I need to phone a friend um, later? You know, where can I practice self-kindness? And also want to reiterate, like, it's hard. (laughs) You know, like my, my narrative still, like as, someone who's a practitioner, like I do healing, you know, I help other people like one-on-one, you know, I do have moments where I'm like, you're being a wimp right now. And it's, it's like, it happens, you know, it's so it's catching myself. Like I'm having the thought you're being wimpy. Then I'm catching myself and saying, Kayla, no, like, it's okay nice yeah yeah and it's like building up that other voice like also i'm a gemini lol so like my two voices in my head but but it's like it's it is like again to what my therapist said it's not like eliminating the first voice is not really the goal it's how can i build up the second voice so it's like the first voice is saying you're a wimp like you're so weak like you know, it's really mean. And then it's that other voice that's taking a stand and saying, We got this. How can you let's walk, let's go on a walk, let's get a snack, let's take a take two breaks today, let's phone a friend.
0: And it's so important, I think, to have that compassionate voice. I, some part of my coach training work and wellness work that I do is around helping people connect with the compassionate observer voice that you notice so when you're Mm. noticing that you're self-sabotaging or you're noticing that you're not speaking about yourself in a particularly good way then how do you turn that into something more compassionate and kind and caring and and you've just described that beautifully. Kayla I just have one final question Mm -hmm. if that's okay Mm -hmm. and that would be what advice would you give to our listeners who perhaps have lost their trust in their parents or even themselves?
1: Yeah I would say you're allowed to feel your feelings and you can love your parents, but simultaneously also still feel disappointed or hurt by them. Like you can hold both of those things at once and you, you might have those opposing feelings inside you for the rest of your life. But I think the question is, um, what, what might you focus on moving forward? So, for example, if you're feeling like you don't trust your parents, but then you're choosing to continually go to them with something that feels vulnerable for you, like how is that going to play out? You know, like you, you can make a different choice in regards to how you build your boundary with your parents. You can make a different choice in the moment where, um, like I always think of that poem that Rupi Carr wrote And I might be paraphrasing it, but she said, don't, uh, don't look for healing at the feet of those that broke you. Um, And I I think about that a lot because like you can't change your parents. Your parents are hurting as well. So, but you can change your boundary with them and you can change how you seek support for yourself. So therapists, friends, teachers, like other people can hold space for you in a very healthy way. Other people can model kindness for you, compassion for you. Other people can model love for you. And I would say, um, don't, don't lose hope for like, that's, it's really important. I say that like, there are people that are waiting to listen to you, to hold space for you, to love you unconditionally, Um, that might just not be your parents and and that's okay
0: so really heard that around the boundaries and the choice that you have and that you can seek support there are other people available and ready to hold that space for you Mm -hmm. thank you so much Kayla it's been an absolute joy and thank you from the bottom of my heart in terms of sharing what you have today and with all of our listeners as well Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review and subscribe to be notified each week of new episodes. Until next time, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life. See you soon.